What is your guys' favorite race that you have played? Halfling. Why? And why? Um, I just like the flavor of the halflings. I like that they're a little bit more energetic and they're always up to just get into the next piece of shit. Like, they're just always ready to go. If someone says, hey, you know what would be a funny idea? Halflings are usually like, yes. Yes, it would. Let's do it. And that's how I play D&D because I never get to be a player. Well, that's how you do most things. You just instigate. It's like, oh, how about this? No, that sounds like a bad idea. And then Adam, no, no, do it. That's great. Do it. Yeah, that, that is how I exist yeah i i like the changeling a lot i like role play so it kind of fits in really well yeah rollo character yeah i love that guy yeah well i mean you turned yourself blue there for a while too yeah well that's wild magic you blew yourself yeah oh yeah all over the place what's yours i gotta say probably uh my barbarian punchy triton it was just such an interesting fish out of water character uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that I never maybe maybe I'm just like fondly looking back on like the punchy side of of the of barbarianing, but it was just such a unique creature. It's a mimic, the round table Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. Hello and welcome to another episode in our conversation on playable races. I'm Kyle and with me today are Adam and Dave. Uh, and this episode is called Furbolds, Goliaths, and Tritons, a giant helping of surf and turf. In our conversation about playable races in D&D's 5th edition, we've already covered all the players' handbook races, the Creepers from Ravenloft, Reptilian and Draconic Peoples, Asimars, Aarakocras, and Genasis, even Orcs and Goblinoids. You can find all these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps. Or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist called Off to the Races that we've built there. As the It's a Mimic podcast continues to explore the far reaches of the 5th edition landscape, we tend to get farther and farther away from what most people would call civilization. And out there, roaming the various landscapes are some of the most unique and interesting populations in modern fantasy lore. In this episode, the panel of Dungeon Masters is going to explore the rocky peaks with Goliaths, the deep woods with Furbolgs, and the cold, dark depths with the Tritons. Now, in 5th edition, there is very little to learn about these fantastic cultures, and what information we do have has been recently changed in Mordenkainen's Presents the Monsters of the Multiverse. So, what we're going to do today is cover each and every version of these guys that exists out there in the published 5th edition material. And we'll also give some insights into what else we've learned from previous editions using our rusty gather information skill from 3.5. But before we get started, I want to remind anyone who's interested in learning more about Tritons to check out one of our previous episodes, 119, titled Sahuagin Armies, Other Otter Water Fodder. In it, we continue our conversation on Sahuagin as monsters, but we also discuss why Tritons are such good foes for them and deadly enemies against the players. Now, Mystic Odysseys of Theros gave us a couple of deadly Triton monster stats with the Wavemaster and Shorestalker. Do you think we need Goliath and Furbolgs to have specific cultural stat blocks like this? Let's roll. I love this dice challenge. We should have been using this from the start. Six. Although I got a one. Fifteen. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is what makes these races so much more interesting to play as a player and to DM for, right? There's more opportunity. There's more 
uh, directions you can go in as a DM with a character or as a player. Uh, yeah, the, the more options, the better. Why wouldn't you? See, do we need them? No, but would I like them? Yes. But in all honesty, I don't think either one of them was really designed to have it. You know, like these are pretty far-flung creatures who are hiding deep in forests or high up in buttfuck nowhere mountains where you don't really travel. So, I mean, I don't think they were necessarily designed for more encounters like that, but I still think it would be fun to have. I mean, I think it comes down to whatever the module is that you're playing, right? Like, I know the Goliaths show up in um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden when you're up in Icewind Dale, because there's a lot of mountains and it's cold and there are barbarian tribes up there, so Goliaths just naturally fit. It was weird we didn't get unique stat blocks when we were getting weird, very specific stat blocks for undead gnolls and, and kobolds, but we couldn't get a different kind of barbarian Goliath. Now, it doesn't take much to just use some of the basic veteran or berserker stats or whatever that exists for the NPCs already. But I'd like to see some cultural things, like shamans or shamans, however you want to pronounce that, right? Or um, specific kinds of druids that would be Firbolg-specific would be nice. It's weird we don't really have a foresty campaign yet. We got swamps, we got Underdark, we got Arctic, we've got cities, we've got Undermountain, we've got, did I say Underdark already? We've got, um, yeah. we've got all the dungeons that are in Tales of Yawning Portal, we've got coastal shit from Salt Marsh, but we don't, like, forests are so important. Yeah, but I think that in most of those campaigns you're going to have a forest encounter. There's yeah. going to be a forest in it. Yeah, what but you're about? not out in the wilderness where there's no city for three chapters. Yeah, what about Tomb of Annihilation? That's jungle. It's mm. it's all very well, wet and swampy. And What's a jungle but a wet forest? Yeah. As someone who lives <laughs> in a temperate rainforest, you should fucking know better. Nah, it's fine. Oh my god, that just, that just makes me twitch. <laughs> Alright, well, let's roll some races. That sounds bad. <laughs> that sounds bad. Everybody roll your races. Oh, D. 18. I got a two and one last again. Dave, you're, I guess you're winning. Uh, take us away with your Triton beauty. Take us away with my Triton beauty. Uh, all right, so guys, I got the Triton. And, I mean, this is of the three we're doing. This is the one I've actually played before. Uh, and, uh, again, like I said before, really do enjoy. Uh, now... Tritons, they're underwater creatures. Traditionally, they're blue, uh, more blue than anything else. They have, they're, they're humanoids, you know, two feet, or sorry, two arms, two legs, looking like a person. And they tend to have like, you know, green flowing hair kind of thing, kind of like floats nicely and majestically in the water, mm -hmm. right? Like uh, a mermaid with legs. No, because, um, whereas, I mean, I guess, yes, I was going to say, you know, they're not half fish, but that's with the legs. Yeah. But uh, in 5th edition, there are merfolk, and the merfolk themselves have, like, one big mohawk-like fin. They're bald. They have no hair. They, um, I think they can breathe water, but they don't go on land. Like they, they, They're not amphibious? Not really. Like, yeah. they, they can, but it's going to be a bad time for them. Um, I always thought merfolk were a little more mischievous as well. That's, I mean, a lot of people play them that way. That's not hard-baked into the lore because there's very little lore about it. Again, if you go back and listen to the Sahuigan episodes, we actually cover all of the merfolk, all of the tritons, all the Sahuigan, 
and I think the Kuotoa and the next one, like we covered the aquatic races that you can play. Um, and they're all distinctly different. Merfolk um, and Tritons are closest aligned, but Tritons are a little bit more badass and a little less exotic. Mm. Like a Triton could walk through a coastal shore and you'd be like, oh, okay, that makes a certain amount of sense in some places. If you see merfolk, whether it's mermaids or mermen or however you want to play that, um, it tends to be out in the middle of nowhere, and it it's rare that they would really interact. I don't think they speak common. Well, they I could be wrong on that. They don't exactly walk around on the shore. Yeah, well, exactly. But they don't even like come into harbors to trade or anything. Whereas sometimes tritons will. Like there's tritons are kind of half merfolk, half human. Mm. Right, they bridge that gap a little. Yeah, they're amphibious. That's yeah. uh, you know they're they're both air and water. Uh, they they do have fins on their lower legs, like specifically below the knee, coming out of like the back of their calves. They've got fins down there to help them uh, swim a little bit better, and as well as they got like the webbed hands and feet uh, as well. But uh, from the pictures I was looking at, it seems to be more like half webbed as opposed to completely. So there's there's still a little more. They have digits to be able to yeah. steal things and shit. Yeah, they're a little more tactile, I think, right? Yeah. For specifically the Forgotten Realms Tritons, uh, there is so much lore in Volos uh, about where they came from and, and, and why they're here. They were originally from the Plain of Water. And while they were there, uh, they were battling all sorts of the evil uh, underwater creatures, uh, water elementals, krakens, sahujin. You know, and especially the Sahuj, and they were, you know, the big mortal enemies. And as they progressed and got uh, better at it, the Tritons started winning and pushing them deeper and deeper and deeper uh, into the plane of water. And then they kind of noticed that the bad guys stopped showing up and became more and more rare, at which point they discovered that they had traveled over to the material plane and were wreaking havoc there. All right. So then the Tritons came over to the material plane and have kind of made it their mission to be guardians of the ocean, caretakers of the sea almost, keeping these krakens and sahuagin and other beasts of the deep. Marrow's one of the big one that they mm. fight. Yeah. Yeah. So now what they do is they're they're very much spread out uh throughout the ocean floor. They're they're not plentiful at all. Uh in fact it it says specifically that sea elves and merfolk will rarely run into them. Like, they're not coexisting. They are defenders. So when you find these these uh, out or these settlements or, or villages of Tritons underwater, uh, they're all mostly near, like, the mouth of a large trench or near some sort of underwater portal that goes to a different plane or somewhere where they can protect from things coming up okay. or out. Now, pardon the pun, but this is a deep dive. Is Bob from Reboot a Triton? He's got blue skin, he's a guardian, and he comes from the net. They're in a computer. (laughs) How what? He comes from the net, Kyle. Yeah, Yeah, they caught him. (laughs) I'm tired. Get out of here. He's got that, like, flowy hair as well. As much as it flowed back in 1998 or whatever. Yeah, I'm fairly sure I've seen him as some sort of sea creature in one of the games. Yeah, sure. Right? Uh... No, he's not. Okay. He's a sprite. Yeah. yeah I know he is, yeah. but the, you're ruining my joke. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. The joke was bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know and I'm incapable of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, the, the the Tritons that came to the Material Plane were volunteers originally. They 
It's not like all of the Tritons came over to the Material Plane. They are from the Plane of Water, but there is quite a few of them here. And that's just really it. They, they are guardians uh, of the Deep. More so protecting the surface from the Deep than the Deep from the surface. Uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting twist on things. Mm -hmm. uh, normally you see like, you know, well, we're keeping the, the land dwellers out of the ocean, blah, blah, blah. We don't like them. That's not the case with these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and they almost feel like it's, they, they have guilt. It's their duty uh, to protect it because they let this evil upon the material plane. Uh, now, when they do venture up onto land, there are quite a few things they find off-putting. Uh, the idea of not being able to go up and down like you would in water. You can't swim in the air. That's off-putting to them. They don't like it. it. It's its such a foreign concept. Fuck this 2D plane. Yeah. Right? Uh, they also are weirded out by the uh, the changing of the seasons. Right? Because, like, that doesn't happen underwater. Yeah. So. I guess snow would fuck them up the first time they run across oh. it. Eh? Sort of. They are resistant to cold. Uh, because of the the I mean, like psychologically the... fucked them up because this is water turned <laughs> solid. Frozen water. Oh, I mean they've got. I'm sure there's ice in the ocean. I mean, I guess. Right. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Right. Like they're going to be familiar with it. It's just, it's just, it's weird how, you know, you think about underwater plants. Okay, they don't go through these seasonal changes like like trees and and you know other plants do. Right? It's like algae blooms based on seasons. Sure, but it's not as prevalent as it would be yeah, in the Seaweed doesn't lose the weeds once a year, right? Yeah, yeah, they don't fall, they don't turn brown and fall to the ocean floor. Yeah. That'd be mm -hmm. interesting. But uh, because of this like disconnect from the material, or not from the material world, but from the, the land dwelling peoples, uh, they also have a strange like disconnect from culture as well. They don't think that. Uh, the the politics of land dwelling peoples is very important. It's like, well, I mean, look, guys, we're you know, th there's almost an air of arrogance to them, mm. right? We're the protectors, and you guys are dealing with these petty squabbles. Like, what what's this about? Why aren't you guys just getting along? Mm. The idea of uh, military alliances and treaties. It's like, no, no, it's a, that's weird. Why are you why why are you like this? They have a re rather rigid hierarchy. Oh yeah, and w when they come to the surface, they almost demand a level of respect and are kind of confused and often a little butthurt when they don't get it. Mm. They they expect that people know their story, know why they're here, and know that they are the defenders. Uh, so why aren't they listening to me right now? Why am I not in charge? What's, what's going on here? This is absolutely ridiculous. Now, that's the Volos side of it. They redid it for the new Mordenkainen's of the multiverse. Yeah, <laughs> redid is me yeah. a scratch. We're going to get that name wrong in this podcast. It's because so I times. don't respect it. No, I don't respect okay, it. Okay, so yeah. now for the Tritons, they give you a paragraph and a half, one of which is the description, which is just essentially what I said before, web feet, fins on the legs, that kind of thing. Uh, and other than that, it says they're from the elemental plane of water uh, and the threat spread to the material plane, and now they have stewardship over the ocean floor. There's nothing at all about their culture, and there's nothing at all about how to roleplay them, which seems to be a new theme, as do it yourself, whatever you come up with is right, mm -hmm. which feels really wrong. Yeah, because part of the fun is digging into the lore and 
what people expect from them and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, it, like it, it also talked in Volos about how they're, they're doing things for the greater good. They're willing to lay down their lives and sacrifice because they are these ultimate guardians and they just they took that right out. Mm-hmm. That's, be, that's because somebody wants to play Ariel. And it's not in the law. Instead of giving us information and then saying, ignore what you want, they give us nothing and say, make it up. Is that really what they're going for? Or is it just they didn't want to release a 600-page book? Uh, no, it is specifically that. Because they came under a lot of fire for orcs and drow over the last couple of years. Yeah, I know community. all that stuff. Right. And so the idea is that there's no right way to play a race. Yeah. Therefore, there's no wrong way to play a race. Therefore, make it up and do what you want. Instead of them leaning into the idea that there are gods and creatures that are creating these sentient beings that have their own cultures that are enslaved from the very beginning of their existence. Instead of going into any of that shit, they're just like, no, 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 no. These ones are just from the Underdark and so they've got darker skin, but they're just like other elves. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah. Right? Tritons are whatever you need them to be. They're the underwater ones. So do what you want with the underwater ones. You can, you can be Aquaman. You can be Ariel. You can be anything in between or something radically different. And it's all okay. But I want, I want to have those, those rigid boundaries to work within mm-hmm. the, the thing to, to subvert. Right? The ideas to, to rally against, to break free from. Remember in 3.5, there was level adjustment when you were trying to play a normal non-player race? I remember. Right? So it, you would have these incredible stat increases and bonuses uh, that would make a base creature far more powerful. Like a level 1 centaur was not equal to a level 1 humanoid. No. So you had these level adjustments, right? I feel like if they dipped into that mechanic, they could make these races so much better i feel like if they just called them species we wouldn't have this issue and we could have the lore back i guess i mean i think that's probably oversimplification i've gone off about this like a number of times on this podcast about how um this is uh pandering to the loudest voices in the smallest communities um and i'm not saying that it is bad to be aware of what other races are feeling this is just a crazy overreaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have robbed us of some of what makes 5th edition unique. It's just bizarre that we are playing in the Forgotten Realms. We don't get Forgotten Realms books. Yeah, well, I'm I'm curious to see what happens, right? Because it is... They did this now, and then they're just kind of waiting for pushback. And then the next time something comes out, you'll see a level leveling out, right? So... I, I don't know. I, I have hope for the future. I don't think it is necessarily a permanent change. I think it's going to last this edition the same way that the Satanic Panic hit AD and D. Yeah, right. And it just removed all of a sudden. We couldn't use the words demons and devils anymore. We'll come back round to this in seventh edition. Yeah, right. And it'll be lineages or species or peoples or something. Right. Yeah. And we'll have unique cultures again. Also, I'm hoping we get rid of the Forgotten Realms that we. Pick something else to play in that's equally as fun and a little more forgotten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, as opposed to the Forgotten Realms and the the new Mordenkainen Tritons, there's also the Theros Tritons. 
Okay, because, you know, we're on Tritons. Yes. Back to Tritons. Back to Tritons. Uh, now, the, the Tritons and Theros are from the Siren Sea, which is a very particular area uh, of the of the map. If you understand the Theros map, you know, there's a little pod over here, Siren Sea. Okay, that's where they're from. It specifically says that the the Theros Tritons uh, are, scale, are scaly. That wasn't the case uh, for the for the Forgotten Realms, for the Volos or the Mordenkainen's ones. Uh, and the Theros ones have these crests and crowns of like coral-esque headgear that like come out of the top. So they're a little more pointed. They're not these like flowy hair creatures anymore. Uh, they look more alien, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're infused with the power of, you know, the, the gods, gods, right? Yeah. Uh, they still have the webbed hands and feet and everything. Uh, but they're not the protectors of the surface from the depths anymore. In fact, they see that any, like, seafaring or sea travel is an incursion into their territory and do not take kindly to it. Mm-hmm. In fact, they will actually, like, raid shoreline villages and, and that kind of thing. Uh, they're not all friendly, as you get from the other side of things. They're more yeah. hostile, but they don't have Sahuagin or anything else in Theros to fill that niche, right? So not if really. you water raiders... You've got it. You have Tritons. Yeah, the biggest mm-hmm. thing they would have been fighting is what the Tromocratus. Like, yeah, that's about it. Well, it's tons it. of Krakens, but yeah, uh, it is not that uncommon to see Tritons and Theros living on the land. Uh, it as although it happens in the Forgotten Realms, it is quite uncommon. Like almost like very rare. In in Theros, that's that's not the case. Like they're they're around. They live in cities. Uh, there's the Theros district uh, in I think what's or sorry the Triton district in. Um, Met- Met- Metrolis, I think the city's called. I I don't know, man. Theros yeah. is one of my like. I love the Theros book, but I, I, it's such a a different dive. Oh, yeah, that, it's a different feel. You got to kind of yeah. be in the right yeah, yeah. mood for it. <clears throat> uh, and of course, it wouldn't be Theros if we didn't mention their piety. They do pray to the god Thassa, who is the god of the sea. Uh, I think I had the Thassa card, and along with Thassa's trident. Uh, when we were playing magic cards way back in the day, Kyle. Yeah, that is a long time ago. Yeah, I think I, I think that was twenty fourteen. Yeah. So, uh, so Thassa to me is always kind of one that, that stuck out to me a little bit more than the rest. Uh, they believe that she will bring ascendancy uh, over sea monsters for the people that follow her. Uh, and the Tritons and Theros are also very curious of the surface dwellers, so they actually take great interest in things like shipwrecks. And other underwater ruins and stuff that might give them any insight uh, into the lives of the land dwellers, right? I I feel like they're more proactive, whereas the Forgotten Realms Tritons would keep, kind of keep you at, at arm's length. Mm-hmm. And we'll have our battles, you stay over there. These guys are very much in your face and interactive as well, right? Mm-hmm. Now for their traits, for the Forgotten Realms and the Theros Tritons, uh, they do get a Strength, Con, and Charisma boost. They all get a plus one. They age the same rate, so they hit maturity at 15, and they can live to up to 200 years. Both of those things are taken away in the new Mordenkainen's book. It's just creature type, and it says you are a humanoid. Great. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the Forgotten Realms and Theros Tritons are a little bit shorter than the average human. Most of them are about five feet. And in the new Mordenkainen book, it just says, you are medium. Yeah, they got rid of yeah. sizes as well because, you know, there's no body shaming. Right? No, that, that mine has a size. In in Morty's yeah, mini, uh, Maniacs? Monsters of the Multiverse? 
Yeah, this one just says size, you're a medium. Yeah. Yeah, they got rid of the furball one as well. Oh, okay, you're talking about like height and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The height weight tables. Uh, the thing that they did get right for all three is the speed. They have 30-foot speed, uh, and that's a 30-foot swim speed as well. They're all amphibious, which means they can breathe air and water, uh, and they speak common and primordial. That's the way it is through and through, all of them. Uh, they also have resistance to cold damage. That's because, you know, they live at the bottom of the ocean. It's cold. Yep. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. And they have an ability called Emissary of the Sea, which allows them to communicate simple ideas with other sea creatures. Okay. Uh, they also have one called Control Air and or Water. Now, this allows them to cast Fog Cloud once per long rest. At level 3, they can use it to cast Gust of Wind. And at 5th level, they can cast Wall of Water, which is a Triton-specific spell. Okay? Cool. Mm. Uh, what it does is it allows you to summon a wall of water. Uh, it can be 30 Ooh, feet long, 10 okay. feet high, 1 foot thick, <laughs> or it can be a circle with a 20-foot diameter. All right? Uh, and that is 20 feet tall and 1 foot thick. So you can raise a ship 20 feet up off the off the surface of the ocean. No. Part of a ship, maybe. Because I'm mean, just imagining this like, huge gust of water, you know, 1 meter thick. You know, I was kind of thinking of these as more like being on the land. You get a wall of water around you to protect from outside forces. Well, it, yeah, I was just, is it, I'm sorry, is it a ring or is it like a, a it's, full circle of water? When it, it, it's a circle, like it, it's a ring that goes around you that is a 20 foot diameter and 20 feet tall. Okay, so it is just a, a circular wall. It's not filled in. No, no. In my no. head it was filled in. No. Still I would I would absolutely lift a ship up with it. If it's if the ship is longer than 40 feet, then up it goes and I'm going to drop it. Yeah. Just fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, the uh the wall is is difficult terrain to get through, so like you can get through to the other side. Uh, also, if you cast uh fire, like someone casts a uh, firebolt through it, when it hits, if it goes through the wall, it does half damage. Uh, and mm-hmm. if they use a cold spell to go through it, it'll actually freeze a five-foot area of the wall. And if that thaws or breaks or is removed, the water doesn't fill back in again. Oh, you're going to make a door. Cool. All right. Yeah, you can, well, Yeah, I thought that was kind of a, a neat little quirk to it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a neat little, like, Triton-only spell. Again, you get that at fifth level, uh, and it's a one per lo- once-per-long rest kind of thing. Uh, now, some of the differences uh, were alignments. In the Forgotten Realms, they are lawful good, period. Uh, in Theros, they're more neutral. Uh, and in Mordenkainen's, they're not. Whatever you want them to be. Yeah, there yeah. is no alignment. <laughs> the other big difference between Theros and the regular ones is the Theros Tritons have dark vision, and that is a defining feature between them. How mm. much? 60 feet. Good. I mean, yeah, fucking they good. They should have... Uh, look, we bitched in the past about this as well on the podcast. When Theros came out, we did a little happy dance that, yay, they finally get they finally get dark vision. Did that carry over into Morty's Many Maniacs? Uh, no. Oh, sorry. Yes, it does. They, they do get dark vision. Is it still 60 feet? Uh, yes, yeah, 60 feet. That's good. Yeah. But they should have it. Like, I, I would be pissed if they took it away again. I mean, I mean, yeah. Like, why, why would you not? Like, the ocean is dark. That was that right. was the argument that we were making before, yeah. So right, if creatures of the underdark get dark vision, why do creatures of the ocean not? And even then, you, you look at someone like a Leona, they get dark vision. That's kind of a weird one. Why do like I get it? Cats. Cat like eyes, sure, but like they're surface dwellers. It's it's cats should not have dark vision. I don't come at me. 
This is a fucking meme in the D&D community and shit. Mm-hmm. Cats should have dark vision. And I will say it for the thousandth time. Dark vision is bestowed by the gods. It is magical. Being able to see in low light is not dark vision. If sure, you but have they an don't... absolutely black room, a cat cannot see in it. Sure, but I mean, okay. I think that's another thing that 3.5 did a little bit better, was they had low light vision and dark vision. They have dim in, in this. They just don't use it very much in 5th edition. I don't think I've ever come across it. Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, dark vision um, just makes it so that you see things like it is in dim light. Right, so yeah, you, it's all grays and stuff. Like yeah. it's not you're not seeing full. Yeah, color. but it's also uh, limited. You can't see your whole like range of it as well. Like it, it dark vision just essentially gives you a better one better step of vision. It doesn't just let you see in the dark. Yeah, look, even night vision isn't perfect. You're looking through the goggles and like it's you know green and stuff. Yeah, like you're still not seeing everything clearly, but it's mm-hmm. certainly better. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, that also is it is amplifying light. Right, that's already there, which is essentially what cats do. Right, they open their eye, they dilate their pupils so that they can bring in more light to be able to see in mm-hmm. darker things. Yeah, but I got a quick question before we, we move on. Yeah, and I want everybody to weigh in on this because I'm not sure I have an answer. If a person is, wants to play a Triton and they don't own one of the books and they're going to go out and buy one of the books, which one is the right one to buy? Volos has the lore. Theros has the curious interaction and the weird alien ones, uh, but Mordenkainen's Monsters of the Multiverse has a uh, has the dark vision and a little bit more free form playing. Which one do you think is the best version? Uh, so I have looked in the new Mordenkainen's book for all of ten minutes, yep. and I absolutely hate it. I want to throw it out the window. <laughs> right? Okay, so not that one. It's not yeah. necessary at all. Uh, I think the Theros Tritons belong in Theros. If you're going to do anything. Do the Volos one, 100%, but homebrew it so that you get your dark vision. Yeah, I guess that's kind of my answer, too. Although, I would 100% accept a Theros Triton walking around the Forgotten Realms. Of course. I I would accept any creature from any campaign setting in any realm, right? Except you, you fucking Kenders. (laughs) Yeah, you know what you did. (laughs) Yeah, they probably don't. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Kyle, what are you weighing on it? Uh, Volos, for sure. I like the lore. So, yeah. I mean, I'm going to go with that one every time. But that's exactly my point, right? That's what enriches, that's what makes me want to play a Triton yeah. over a human. It gives me more, insp- it, honestly, for me, it gives me more inspiration when I'm writing a backstory. Mm-hmm. Like, it gives me more to lean into, more ideas to have, and sort of, I mean, unless you're going over a session zero and your DM is laying out every part about these races that are in your universe, it is, I don't know. It just, yeah, it kind of bugs me, I guess. I should actually, Kyle, I'll, I'll hook you up. You know what? I'll put it on the, uh, on the, I'll put a link on Reddit as well. I actually have, like, how to build a character backstory. I made my own sheets just to, like, shit you might not have thought about and fill in the blanks. Okay. I handed it out to my players before we started the current campaign, and I said, you don't have to do this. Yeah. Pick and choose the things that are that you desperately want to play with, but use it as inspiration to build your own thing, because it's, like, eight pages long. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a fucking beast. Maybe that's what they need to solve this problem with the new book. You know, give you that, like, customizable background. Remember when we were doing our Candlekeep characters, we rolled randomly for everything? Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch of those random charts out of the back of Mordenkainen, the first Mordenkainen's book, uh, and, like, rolled for everything. 
Isn't it in Xanathar's? I thought it was Xanathar. Xanathar. Yeah, Xanathar's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we rolled for, for all of those additional things. If we could roll, if there was a table for it, we rolled for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was so much, like it was enriching. Like it was, it was nice to see. It was using those parts that you don't normally use. And I think that if you have that customizability to this lack of option, that's maybe your way to get through it. I agree yeah. 100%. Like, questions you should be asking yourself while you're building a character. Yeah, I, they should have gone hand in hand, not, not. oh, by the way, here's some stuff. Yeah. I still think that the, that there should be a box set for new players that has five books in it. Hmm. The five books should be how to build a character. So that's one. Everything you need to know as a player. That includes session zero and and uh, table etiquette and, and what to expect and step-by-step how to build a character. It has all of the playable races in it. And then, and all of the classes, and maybe not all the subclasses, but a majority of them, right? Then you have your DMG, which is rules. Here are your rules. Hard stop. Rules. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is what you need to run the game. And by the way, here's a section on how to run a session zero, how to, uh, how to, uh, pick theme music, how to like, and, and that kind of flesh it out. Use descriptive language, that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. How to be a storyteller. Yeah. yeah. Um, then you have your, uh, monster manual. Your spell compendium mm-hmm. and your uh, lore compendium, right? Which is, hey, you know what? Take these monsters from the monster manual, and you, if you apply them to Theros, and, and you just have chapters on kind of the base history and geography from about seven different campaign settings. Bam! There you go. You don't need any other books. You're good to go. And you charge three hundred bucks for the whole fucking thing, but people will goddamn buy it. Because it comes in a box set. It's the only way to get them, and there you go. Yeah. A lore Wizards book, makes its money. A no. lore book would be incredible. When I was doing the, the Tour of the Multiverse for Eberron, it was all in one book. But my God, was it difficult to find. It was, you know, I want to research one topic. It's in seven different spots. Like, it's unwieldy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that way, every time that you release another campaign setting, or you don't release a campaign setting, you release... Uh, jungle adventures, right? And this is all about jungle adventures, and then it's different monsters or how the how the regular monsters fit in a jungle. What the lore mm. is for the jungles in Theros, in in Ravnica, in Forgotten Realms, in Greyhawk, and right. And you can then you're hitting aspects of the game for people to buy. Oh, hey, I know we're going up to the Arctic. I'm going to buy the Arctic book, combine it with the original five, and I got everything I need. Yeah. Instead of this fucking piecemeal. And then now they're just re-releasing shit, but mm. but shittier. Yeah, here's some changes, but it's the same. It's essentially the same. Well, welcome to Triton's Goliaths and Furbolgs, where Adam bitches about fifth edition. Yeah, <laughs> I also absolutely hate that they named it after another, like the same character they've already named a uh, book Morgan. after. Well, we also have Morganin's uh, Fiendish Folio, which is one of the PDFs as well. I, so this is actually the third one. I fucking <laughs> hate it. Just like make it Bigby's or something, or yeah. or have some forethought and name it. Mordenkind in Volume One, Volume Two. So, like, you well, that, that's actually the Fiendish Folio is Volume One, and there was never a Volume Two. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, they should have fucking figured this out. Like, it's bullshit. Anyways, okay. all right. Well, let's ask some questions. Uh, let's roll. See who gets to go first. I rolled another one. God damn! I rolled another fifteen. Oh, you bumped me. Oh, I got a 10. I guess I'm going last. Am I going first again? Yeah, that's yeah, just right. I'm always going first. Lucky Dave. So, Dave, uh, what's one interesting reason why one of these characters would become an adventurer? Uh, because they've managed to block off the the portals from the plane of elemental or the elemental plane of water. Uh, and the, the key to figuring it out 
um, is it's you know somewhere on land, and they have to adventure to it. You know, they they have figured out now that uh, uh, the the reason that they're here is no longer applicable. Well, what do they do? Right. That's that's kind of where I would go with this. It's uh, I mean honestly, I, mean, I would be inspired by the war forged on that. They were part of the last war. Now what do they do? I like the idea of these different races kind of being, pardon the pun, fish out of water, and and having to to kind of explore this other side of things. Uh, just like take the take the basic lore, but then forget about it and and see where it goes. You know? Yeah. All right. Honestly, it's it's baked right into the original lore that these guys are guardians, so there's something coming, right? The mm-hmm. Kraken will be here next month. We've got to l- level up and get the items so we can fight them, right? Like, it it's built right into it. If you're playing anywhere on a shoreline or in the coast, it makes sense for Crichton to pop up and be like, you should know danger's coming, right? And a herald almost. Um, at that, I like that idea, too, because you could have some NPCs be like, every time a Triton shows up, bad shit happens. Yeah. They're the bad luck. They're pariahs and, and evil omens. Oh. Right? So, right. Interesting. Um, so you can kind of play both sides. Like, no, I'm here to warn you. Like, no, you brought it with you. Right? Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of the the plot hook that I would bring to the adventure. Like, aha, I'm here to, to be the guardian. Be like, yeah. But we didn't need a guardian last week. Yeah. So what the fuck? <laughs> it's a mend and defend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it would depend on whether you're playing a land-based or water-based primary campaign. But I think it could be a fun idea that they are trying to become more worldly. So they have sent you out to document what life is like on the surface. So you can better interact. And your job is basically to go around and create an encyclopedia Oceanica. Actually, that's that's one thing that they, they did mention briefly about the Theros Tritons, is they are very curious. They want to explore the shipwrecks and everything. Yeah. And a lot of what they find uh, does get passed down uh, verbally. And so then once a Triton hears a thing, maybe they, they've heard it down the, the line of telephone, right? And now okay. they're on land and they're taking it as gospel. Yeah. And it's just not applicable. Uh, they, they pick up the four-pronged utensil at dinner and go, I found a fuck. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just been lost a little bit in translation the whole way. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of built right into the Theros ones a little bit as well. So, yeah, yeah. I All like right. that one. Yeah. Um, what kind of insights do you have for players who want to explore role-playing this kind of character? Oh, these guys, I would have them as humorless robots. Uh, they would just... That's every one of your characters. Yes. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but, like, these guys are, are tailor-made to the not understanding the nuance of conversation uh-huh. or or understanding the idea of sarcasm or understanding the idea of... They're just drags. Why are these puny people... Yeah, exactly. Why are these puny people that are beneath me not listening to me? Like, I'm clearly... They're superior. <laughs> I know better than them. What... What is this? Yeah. Right? Like, you really lean into this not understanding <laughs> and almost offended by it. Yeah. My main insight for people that are going to roleplay a Triton is you can start off being that kind of arrogant early on, but I would drop that in the first six or seven uh, sessions. Mm-hmm. Have a learning curve because the more time you spend with people, um, the more you're going to start to understand it. So, like, if you start at level one, by level 12, if your guy still hasn't figured out what, like, how to shake hands, then you're you're an idiot, yeah. right? But additionally, on top of that, the other players around the table are not going to really want to deal with that level of, I'm better than you, Yeah. for seven fucking months. No, no, you have to be a good player about it, but there's yeah. room to yeah. do it's it. It's a fine line to walk, for sure. Yeah, you got to have the right player doing yeah. it. 
I think that someone like Terry would be great at it, but I've watched his characters evolve like crazy, mm-hmm. session after session after session. Whereas someone like uh, Dan would evolve in the session. Dan's an episodic player, so like it's like an episode of like the original Star Trek where everybody learns a great big lesson. We have this new race and we figured it out and Spock's different now. But next week we reset and we're going to do it all again. Yeah. Right? And Dan very much comes like, I'm playing my character and he's always this. I've learned a valuable lesson this week, but I have forgotten it by the next session. So here we go. So I don't want Dan to play a Triton. Yeah. I would want Terry to play a Triton. He sounds like a Kender. Dan? Yeah. Uh, Dan, well, I mean, there's a reason he plays gnomes so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I would have said pretty much the same thing as you, Adam. Like, you know, they have such a rich backstory. Uh, like, it's fun. And I kind of imagine them to be curious, naive, with a hint of condescension. But it, it can get so old so fast. But, it, you, yeah, sorry, I, I, think, gotta, I think the condescending side of it is there's there's no offense made. Like, they're not trying to be... Yeah, well, but offense condensation because they're wet. Yeah, but offense made and offense taken are two different things, right? I, I agree, so, which I think would be an interesting dynamic. Yes, yeah. uh, but I think if you are going to go that way, you have to have room in your character for a little humility, right? Yeah, or talk to the high elf at the table that's with you, and the two of you team up as being holier than thou, better than everybody else, and he's kind of like a Waldorf and Statler. Oh, yeah. Driest Waldorf and Statler. Oh, yeah. That's right. That, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what class or subclass would be a good thematic fit for this race, and why? Uh, Fletherin, my barbarian uh, uh, triton, was a Storm Herald, and I couldn't imagine a better a better uh, subclass. Yeah. The, the Storm Herald barbarian was just absolutely wonderful. You add the cold resistance... Uh, the Storm Heralds get the aura as well, uh, and you get to pick, what, you know, with a desert or the the you know the different yeah, resistances like the you get. So thing. yeah, so you can kind of pick to be resistant to cold and fire, uh, and give some of those benefits to people around you. Like it's just, I, I think Leathern was ridiculously powerful, and we only got to like tier two, right? Yeah, she had an item that allowed her to gain advantage on every unarmed strike. And an unarmed strike did a D4 damage. So But 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 she was able to as a barbarian go toe-to-toe and all of that resistance, extra resistance. Well, yeah, and well. you're hitting hard, like and more frequently as well. You had that rage damage in there, it just like it worked out. But uh the, the Storm Herald, like definitely definitely barbarian, Storm Herald was a nice flavor. These guys are are not just fighters, they are they are brute warriors, bred to fight. The creatures of the deep. Okay, so I built a character, and it's going to seem a little um, ridiculous, but uh, this is the Triton that is not a warrior. While everybody else is sitting there manning the gates, that we have to make sure that nothing else comes through the portals, right? And so we've got civilizations on either side of the portals and strongholds and whatnot, and everybody is trained from a young age to be a warrior, right? Because that's the Triton society, and but this is one guy that just. He's a bard college of eloquence, um, and I would run him like C-3PO. Okay, like speaks every language? Uh, not necessarily speaks every language, but thinks he knows the proper etiquette and protocol and absolutely, and always, it gets it wrong. Yeah. Just, oh my, oh dear, I'm not prepared for this. Oh, oh, wow, oh, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and and that kind of a little bit nervous because I, I'm on land with these people. I should not be here. I just want to go home. 
But my society said, you should go over there. You're not helpful here. You should go yeah. over there, learn about the surface dwellers, and come back in 150 years. What's their lifespan? Up to 200. 350 years. Come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, and you are there to, oh, I will learn things and I will help them. And then as a DM, I'm going to be like, okay, at the end of the campaign, we will return with your new knowledge, you actually will be the savior of your people. Mm. The same way that you believe you should be, but the player knows that, no, I was just kicked out because I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah. You <laughs> literally just described Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what... Right, the, comes from the underwater culture, is a buffoon, mm. gets kicked out, comes back as the savior. You know, like, yeah, you just... that That's Jar Jar. I'm not sure that he was the savior. He did put Palpatine... Oh, he's a power. bombad general. <laughs> oh, fuck <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for me, I think you can make a pretty convincing case for just about any class or subclass, but in my mind, Blade Singer checks all the boxes. Like, a warrior trained from birth who's volunteers to go and fight in another plane to defend the oceans from them. You know, it's just like a Blade Singer is an all-around warrior. Gonna fucking kick ass and send magic spells. Is there anything that, that doesn't feel like a good fit? Anything off the top of your head? If you go through them, like I'm not really getting artificer vibes. I'm not getting ranger vibes. No. Really, like out in the yeah. wilderness. If you no, they're more druidy than rangery, in in my opinion. Yeah, but I I feel like you could be a ranger of the look. Rangers poorly supported. If we could get a, an appropriate subclass for it, it might work. I, I also it's just wilderness yeah, shit. Right? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think this monks fit. I know I just spoke about a punchy triton, but I don't think that's no, going to work. Yeah, they're more. The, they're not going to have a monastery, right? Yeah. I mean, they could, but it seems unlikely. I mean, I don't really see a bard for it. Well, I I, I came up with a pretty specific example, yeah. but I mean, they probably don't have books underwater, so it would be oral tradition. Yeah, but they might have like scribes with uh, dude well, on tablets. Yeah, but plus College of Swords is really fighty and really good. It's kind of a blade singer. Yeah. All right. So. Um, what's one creative build you would be excited to play as this race? All right. So Tritons, the depths of the ocean. Okay. Great old ones, you know, Cthulhu mythos. What do you think? I think like depths of the oceans. Okay. Are you going Warlock? I'm thinking Warlock with some sort of tie-in to like one of my favorite, uh, uh, Cthulhu mythos stories is Dagon. Cause you know, like the fish God. You you could you could make him a patron and it would be all sorts of wonderful. I fucking love Dagon. Dagon is probably my favorite Lovecraft story. Yeah. Um short and sweet. But I don't know if you know this, Dave, because you're not a big warlock guy. You know there's a subclass for under for cracking like patrons and the shit. Deep. Like, it's the uh, fathomless, right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So they're actually beyond like you could do great old ones or you could go uh fathomless. I I, I kind of like the idea of Personally, blending the the Cthulhu mythos, yeah, specifically, the, the Great Old One has like psychic shit, and the Fathomless has other more aquaticy themes to it. Well, I would also homebrew the shit out of it, oh. right? Because there's got to be some good payoff there. I, if you're gonna go with like a warlock, especially if it's like a Great Old One, because if you're going by Volos, it feels like the exact kind of thing they would fight. I, I right, so so, like so a betrayer of your. Fucking people. Great idea. I love it. Mm -hmm. Right? That, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. You, you could also do what's the genie one? The warlock genie one, and then have a merid as your as your fucking patron, because they're the 
the water genies as well, right? So because there's a tie to the elemental plane of water through mm-hmm. there, so that that works for warlock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think honestly, it lines up so nicely with paladin. You are a guardian. You are a military trained individual. Uh, an oath of conquest. Not necessarily vengeance, but an oath of devotion, even. Yeah, um, right. It, like, it can make a lot of sense. Even a reflavor for the um, Oath of the Ancients would make a lot of sense for one of these, um, one of these trains, these warriors from the deep to come out and be a protector, mm. right? To be able to, um, I, and you get in fighting styles too, like, uh, protector or, uh, what's the one you can use your shield to block others and like there's, there's a lot of really good options out there, um, and plus you get to smite, which is always fun with a yeah. trident. Uh. Kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so I like the idea of uh, there's something stirring up the creatures of the deep, but your people cannot figure out what's going on. So you have been tasked to go to the surface and find out what's happening, see if they have any idea. So I play a blade singer, like I said before, but I take the spy background, and so. He is pretending to go around writing this encyclopedia, but it's really just a cover for him to spy on different kingdoms. I love the idea, too, that a lot of the kingdoms would just be like, yeah, I don't care. We'll tell you. Yeah. Like, ah, ah, I have no secrets. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't really understand the idea of a secret. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, they eat fish on Fridays. <laughs> Key to their success. <laughs> A really bumbling, incompetent spy. Yeah. That would be hilarious. <laughs> oh, like Inspector Clouseau. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're going to keep this short and sweet. I know that I said in the episode that I was going to post online this kind of questionnaire that I hand out to my players. And I'm going to put it up on the subreddit. I'll explain that in a second. I just want to be really clear. This is not a comprehensive list for character building. This is kind of what I hand out during Session Zero to inspire them to come up with new creative ways to, to build a character backstory beyond the class lineage background system that 5th Ed encourages. It doesn't need to be completely filled out. As a matter of fact, most people will just ignore large swaths of it. This is kind of a living document that as my players come up with new and interesting ideas, I slam it onto the list for other people to think about in the future. It's like well over a dozen pages, I think. Um, so. Go check it out. Um, I'll put it in the episode guide that's pinned to the very top because I know I've posted this Google Drive link in the past uh, and it's been buried. So there are a couple other documents in there that you're welcome to poke at. These are kind of half-fleshed out ideas that we've spoken about on previous episodes that require more tinkering uh, and I encourage people to take a look at it and see if you can find inspiration in, I think it's a couple of crit tables and my quiver of chance that I talked about, oh god, way back when on a rangers episode maybe who knows anyway i'll keep the link there at the bottom of the episode guide so you may have to scroll for 10 miles past all of the episodes that we've released um but uh it should be there for you to consistently be able to check in whenever we mention we're going to throw something up online we'll drop it in that google drive and, and it'll stay there anyway let's get back to the episode all right so goliaths have remained almost unchanged since their debut in 3.5 they stand seven to eight feet tall, which actually is in the new Mordenkainen's book, uh, and weigh up to 340 pounds of ass-kissing mu- ass muscle, not ass-kissing muscle, 
Well, I mean, let's not count anything out. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. If you read about these guys, they... If they're walking they're behind not a big giant, on they might. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have a prominent brow ridge and wide jaw, giving their face a kind of Neanderthal cast. Uh, they've got green or blue eyes and stone hard skin that is either brown or gray. And it's modeled with this kind of darker colored gray uh, that's generally vertically symmetrical stripes that the Goliaths believe tell their fates. Interesting. Yeah, so they will never get tattoos, and they generally try to prominently display them. So those are naturally occurring, because you always see them with these markings. And I've known many Goliath players who's like, and I'm going to get more tattoos. Yeah. But that's not what it is. That is not what they're doing, yeah. All right, cool. And they're also littered with these things called uh, lithoderms, which are basically coin-sized raised ridges of bone and skin. Um, that almost looks like there was something embedded under there. So I'm guessing that's where body modders first got the idea from. And the men are generally bald, uh, but with body hair, whereas the women generally have dark hair that is kept long and braided. Reclusive by nature, Goliaths live in small nomadic tribes between 40 and 60 members on desolate high mountain peaks where every day is a battle for survival against their cold and unforgiving terrain. That sounds like fun. I could I could do that. Yeah, right? Would you? Yeah, yes, I have. This is past the tree line. There is yeah. nothing but wind and cold. It's like going above Dan's beard. It's just nothing but just bald, <laughs> kind of gray. And cold. And cold. Oh. Kind of clammy. Weird markings. Yeah. Displayed prominently. Yeah, kind of lopsided. <laughs> yeah. These scaly things, like bone-like body mods. No, no, no. Yeah. It's a, a, above, the, above the beard. His body mods are beside the beard. Oh, and below. We won't talk about those. No, we're not talking about those. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) from that frozen crucible are forged some of the finest warriors with a strong competitive streak who strive to outdo themselves and each other every day. Few Goliaths ever really make it to old age, constantly seeking to test themselves against ever stronger foes and tests of strength believing it preferable to die in battle at the peak of their strength than to wither away in decrepitness. Conversely, Goliaths also have a strong sense of fair play, believing that proper competition can only be had on a level playing field. So if they're fighting an enemy and their enemy loses a weapon, they might shed theirs as well, knowing that an advantage can always be lost, so they must always be ready. It isn't just about winning for them, it's about talent, dedication, and effort. The harder the victory, the more worthwhile it is to them. And while they're not evil creatures, they are strong believers in personal personal strength, and every member of the tribe needs to earn their keep. Those who cannot are exiled for the good of the tribe. So if you cannot keep up when their tribe is moving, you are getting left behind in the cold. Survival of the fittest. Yeah, survival of the fittest every day. As such, Goliaths have trouble understanding any society with a caste system. So nobles and peasants don't make sense to them. You know, if you can't keep your rule through strength of arms and fighting prowess and intelligence, then you don't deserve it. I wonder how they feel about elderly. They leave them behind. Yeah, but they, like, they are outcast. If you cannot earn your keep, you are not welcome in Goliath society. Yeah, but like when they go into Waterdeep, for example, and they go to the town hall and there's a... 80-year-old, you know, magistrar there. The Give me someone who is young and able. I do not listen to you. You are going to be nothing but bones by the end of the month. Right? Like, yeah. I wonder if they just disregard everybody elderly. 
I think they have to kind of prove that they were worth disregarding. Or, you know, prove that they're worth listening to. Yeah, but the moment that they, like, give <clears throat> give the dad, the dad sit up, right? The <clears throat> getting yeah. up, right? Like, the guy's like, oh, his days are numbered. It's downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's more they, they'll just be confused about why he's in power. Like, you guys are just letting this old man run the city? Why? Why not just kill him and install stronger person? I do appreciate, though, that they're going to like wizards as well, because intelligence is a factor here, right? So, yeah. like, Gandalf is still going to be respected by them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the general stereotype here is big, strong, dumb, braggadocious, because they love telling people about their most recent accomplishment, um, and always spoiling for a fight. And while that's not wrong, I feel it is also kind of incomplete, like, I don't think a Goliath would take just any fight. They want a worthy foe, right? Something worthwhile. Yeah, if they're going to bleed, it's got to be worth their time. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they're not going to pick on somebody smaller than them. That is obviously weaker. Like, if there's a goblin, he's going to be like, no, I got better things to do with I'm time. getting more shades of Drax again. This, uh-huh. is, this is number two that's going to give me a Drax feel. The jumping into the mouth of the giant monster, right? The- yeah, and yeah, and he likes to brag. Yep. I recently destroyed a dragon. What is the biggest foe you've ever killed? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, in a way, it's kind of a savage kind of nobility and the fact that they won't fight lesser beings uh, if it's not proving their strength. Uh, as for traits, Goliaths are medium-sized humanoids with a 30-foot walking speed. Uh, previously, they got uh, plus two to strength and a one to con, but obviously they got rid of that in Monsters of the Multiverse. Uh, they also get the little giant trait, which gives them proficiency in athletics and lets you count as one size larger when determining carrying capacity and the weight you can push, pull, and lift. They also get the mountain-born feature, uh, which is Goliaths are naturally acclimated to high altitudes, even exceeding 20,000 feet and have resistance to cold damage. Uh, and finally, they also get Stone's Endurance, uh, where using your reaction, you can reduce damage taken by a D12 plus your con modifier. And you can use this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, uh, and you regain all those uses on a long rest. The wording has changed a little, but it is functionally the same as Volos. Well, in Volos, wasn't it, wasn't it once per shorter long rest? Yes, you are correct. Yeah, that, that changes things. That drastically changes things. Yeah. Because the short rest becomes something that you need a whole lot less, uh, and you become more efficient with this, you know, as you level up. Whereas before, this becomes almost forgotten by level 11, 12, yeah. right? A D12 is, I mean, it's useful, but it's not super useful. You will roll a one sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Yeah, so let's uh, talk about some inspiration. Oh, another, another one. Oh, my God. Hey, you bumped me to a 19. Uh, I'm going Ooh, first. Three. No, no, right. no, no. You rolled a one. You stay with your one. No, you bumped me. <laughs> Dave, well, here, you I'll don't have you to again. go first this one time. Uh, no, I bumped you again back to a one. No, mm-hmm. stop touching my, my little clickety bits. All right. Uh, what's one interesting reason why one of these creatures would become an adventurer? Um, Honestly, for more glory. Right? I, it's one thing to stand on the top of the mountaintop and, and fight. Okay, so... Goliaths in my head are mini stone giants. Stone giants also live on mountaintops. They're uh, they're, t- they're giant kin, right? Like, mm-hmm. they are giants. Um, but they're bald, and they've got a kind of 
I don't want to use the word primitive because it gives you the idea that it's uh, it's lesser somehow, but they have more rudimentary uh, civilization, right? Um, that they're not necessarily worried about the modern trappings of daily civilized, quote unquote, civilized life, right? Yeah. So uh, in Goliath and Stone, giants share the same terrain. So I would assume that they kill stone giants. Well, so the history of glass isn't properly known, uh, but there is rumor that they are related to stone giants and earth genasi. That makes sense. That makes sense based on their... Uh, they call earth genasi cousins, so... The, uh, was that the Tao? Or, yeah, that was the the, the, the earth um, genie is the Tao, right? So that's... They're going to be kind of related to that as well. I could see them wiping out the stone giants and then saying, I need the next foe. Mm-hmm. What's the next biggest thing? My Goliath adventure at level one is going to kick open the doors to the throne room in the middle of the like a banquet and say, I am here now. Who is your problem? Point me at them. Yeah. Right? I mean, totally out of his depth. This is a, the, oh, okay, sorry. Our, our problem is Strahd or a Sararak or a Tarask. All right, let me at him, right? Yeah. No, 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 hold on. Wait, 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 wait. But I would play confidently incorrect like Dave does with his Leon and Barbarian. Yeah. Right? And just say, I can do it and be almost suicidal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These guys would never shy away from a fight. Yeah. I can do it. Although I think that if it was clearly like go swim in lava, Mm. they're not going to. There's no glory in killing yourself. Yeah. No, it is dying while testing your strength for them. That is the thing. Yeah. but Like almost Viking-like, right? Yes, I see the, there's glory in dying fighting a, a gargantuan rock, for example, ROC, the giant birds, right? A gargantuan rock. There's not glory getting picked to pieces by it, as like, even though, like, if you know for certain you are going to die, there's no valor in that, right? Uh, yeah, it's not necessarily valor. It is, you know, they, they would rather die trying their hardest to beat something that they couldn't because it is to die in the their peak form is really their ideal they don't want to get old and weaker ever yeah i'm just thinking about the role-playing side of it from from a player's perspective Mm. this is going to stop you from saying oh hey the goblinoid horde is over the mountain oh i will just go do that the Goliath in the party will split the party every fucking time. Mm. Every time someone else goes, retreat? He'll say, no! You have to say no and still retreat, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you, there has to be some semblance of common sense. Retreat? No! How about a regroup? Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, Dave, what's one interesting reason? Um, I kind of like the idea of... Uh, these guys being so overconfident, they, maybe they came across what they determined to be a lesser being, completely underestimated them, got their asses absolutely handed to them, got exiled from their tribe, and are now trying to find their previous glory to get back to their original status. <laughs> the halfling barbarian whooped his ass. Right? Something like that. Right? It, it, it seems like such a slam dunk. You use the societal restraints uh, that they have. To, to motivate your, your character. Easy. All right. Uh, I would have said that he was too old and weak to be a productive member of a tribe. And so he got kicked out. And now he is trying to find his glorious death in battle. Where I think you can kind of rectify those two ideas of, you know, <laughs> still wanting to die in battle and willing to go out and put yourself there. But 
also wanting to wait for that proper battle where you're like, this is the one I am willing to put my life on the line for in a way, kind of sense of glory. That's a one-shot character. <laughs> yeah, it could be. But the lions feel like one-shot characters, though. They yeah. do feel um, almost lawful stupid, right? Like, I can do it. We will do it. This is the right thing to do, and I'm going to do it. Mm. And then they get just run over by the carriage, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they do give you a couple options uh, in Volos where it's talking about uh, sometimes they are... Uh, kidnaps as children to be used as gladiators in various settings. So, I mean, you could have one who wasn't even really raised by a glass society, so it doesn't need to necessarily mm, fit that motif, I guess. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, what kind of insights do you have for players who want to explore role-playing this kind of character? One of the things about all of the, uh, the creatures that we're talking about today is that they come from the outskirts of society. Mm -hmm. And as much as you can play the fish out of water, and that's easy enough to do, that is a good hook. All right, I'm not shitting on that by any means. Um, there still has to be a level of intelligence and the ability to learn. It's going to be just as effective to, what do you do during your uh, short rest? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to talk to the half-elf and find out why they wear shoes. Right, And that's what I need to do for the fish out of water. I'm not getting in the way of social encounters. Mm -hmm. right? However, I think that when I'm going to roleplay a Goliath specifically, exploration pillar is the challenge. Almost more so than combat. right? Because I can climb it. I can get there first. I can get there faster. I can, uh, I can do it bigger than you. I will race you to the top of the cliff. I can jump it. Just watch. Mm -hmm. right? The exploration pillar is going to open up. So I would be thinking about things like um like climbers kits and uh and not not necessarily herbalism kits or anything, but things like out natural um environment and the uh, the idea that now suddenly you get to go to an environment that you've never been in before. Mm -hmm. I've done mountaintops, that's cool. What is this desert you speak of where it's warm? I could do that. Yeah. And the and climbing goes down and not up. Okay, right, and that's that's kind of how I would want to lean into my my Goliath, excited to explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I look at, at these guys, um, and they are actually something that I'm interested in playing in, or something I'm interested in playing as. Really, you don't say. This is such a Dave character race. It is uh, because, and you hit the nail on the head. It doesn't need to be role play heavy. Uh, I think that they give you a lot of good information on what they're like and where they're from and how they react to things. But I also think that you don't necessarily need to explore every side of a character. I'm the kind of player that I don't... I undervalue the social encounters. I undervalue the role-playing of it. Uh, I'm sure, Adam, you hate it when I'm a player uh, in your Sunday D&Ds. Uh, okay, all right, l listen. For those of you who don't know, which is everybody except, I guess, Dan, Dave and I have gone off about this recently in, like, our private lives to... to figure out what he can get more out of the character that he's playing. He's playing in Leona Barbarian. I'm like, what What kind of role-playing opportunities? What's your backstory? He's like, I don't need that. You know, I'm good. I just, like, I want to fight. I want to use the stuff I've got. I, I've got eight, like, I'm a Wild Surge Barbarian. I've got eight different magical things that happen every time I rage. Cool, let's play with that for a while. Yeah, Dave's here for the, the plot and the mechanics more so than the role-playing, which is really old school 3.5. Yeah, I, I want right. I want collaborative storytelling. I don't need to, 
sit down and have a conversation with everyone. It's a waste of my time. I don't want to do town time. I fucking hate that. And I know that this is probably, not that we haven't really spoken too much about it, probably a point of contention for you on Thursdays. I feel like that's probably an area of the game that you would enjoy exploring and that I, just, I can't provide. It's just not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Right, like and, and, and that, it's not really a point of contention for me. That's not the wrong. That's the wrong way to say it. I think you could get more out of it than than I'm than I got in. In than I got yeah, in. You're not look. look right? role, role playing is the third pillar for you. No, it's the fourth pillar. Like it's <laughs> like I, it's not for me. And and like to be fair, we have had some great role play heavy uh, sessions. We have had sessions where we didn't roll dice. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all just social encounters, talking to new people, getting the lay of the land, moving on. We did one with the shopkeep the other a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was neat. That was fun. It, it it drove the story on a little bit. Uh it allowed you guys to sort out your your literal baggage. Yeah. And uh and and move on, right? So like th- there's certainly use for it. It's just that's not where I come from as a player. And I think that these guys I, really suit that. I think yeah. that I think that you role play more enough rather as a DM they, it scratches that itch. Everything that you need. You you have capacity for role playing of three. One of the people have a capacity of a hundred, and you you do that when you DM on Thursdays, so that by Sundays when you're a player, I'm like, burnt out. Yeah, yeah, I I don't need to talk to people. I just let me <laughs> yeah. let me hit them with an axe. I remember that I mean. like four goblin conversation I had with myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, went, it went on for a while. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, look, I get that. You're right. Goliaths are relatively simplistic as far as yeah if you're not if their society goes like it, it's one or two notes and that's what you got right mm-hmm. yeah you can play a goliath uh not explore the societal restraints i guess that they have Limitations, and, and and not miss anything but yeah. this is why i really like the idea of having like you you asked earlier Kyle the idea of having um different Stat blocks for monsters that could f- that would flesh out the Goliath culture mm. because there is precious fucking little. Yeah, there, right? Like we can kind of read between the lines that we're talking barbarian rangers, druids, right? Over things like clerics. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of like praying to the gods, mm, and no. there's not a like there are wizards, but there's not a whole lot of study. Yeah. Going on, it's going to be different. It's going to be a blade singer, not a divination. You know, like it's yeah. going to be. It's going to be more. Again, I don't want to say primitive, but uh. oh, it's martial leaning, right? Like they're yeah. big, giant, strong, right? And then so that's where their talents naturally lie, and that's what they're gonna do, right? So you, uh, in Volos, when it's talking about where they kind of live. It is like desolate. There is not a lot of resources. You have to constant. They have to constantly be watching. They have shamans and druids. Basically, they're going. Yeah. Oh, we're about to run out of resources. We have to move. We have to move somewhere that has resources, right? So it is. They're nomadic, right? Yeah, they like they are just trying to survive all the time and succeeding. Like it's not yeah. a struggle, right? They, as a matter of fact, it's probably easy for them to survive. So they're looking for the struggle, right? Yeah. So exactly, actually. Um. So. I, you're right, Dave. This could be a simplistic character. You don't have to think too much. Great for one shots. Mm-hmm. But or you, if that's the kind of player you are, if you if like yeah. if you're like me, it's great for that. But at the same time, you can look deeper into it and find more in their culture. What's it mm-hmm. like to never have a home, right? Yeah. And then suddenly you are staying in the same tavern, or the rest of the party decides you're going to buy a keep, and you're like, "Fucking why?" Right? And it gives you more things to interact with and, and to play with. If that's the case, 
Whereas there are some that are like like halflings, Dave. I don't see you playing many halflings. No, they're social by nature, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's like they're yeah, and they're they're physically weak at the sight of the game. I enjoy. Why would I do that to myself? Yeah. So see, I I like these guys a lot, and I think there are important questions to ask yourself when you're looking at this player, right? And I think it will determine not just necessarily what kind of player you are, but how you can play them, right? I like the idea of asking yourself, well, what is your relationship with your tribe, right? Were you exiled? Did you willingly leave? Is this kind of like a rum springer for your character, right? Where you're just going <laughs> and exploring and just seeing what else life has to offer. Um, I think there's, it is simplistic in nature, but there's there's a lot of ways to read between the lines with it. Yeah, there are there could be hidden depths in there, mm. um, and you can build it the way that you want to. I like the idea. I really. Uh, why are you adventuring? Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm I've gone walkabout. Yeah, like that's it. That's all I need from uh, for a Goliath, right? Like, yeah, you need a little bit more for a hobgoblin, for example. Yeah. All right. Uh, what would you? What class or subclass would you want to play with this? I mean, we all know what it is off the top of our head, right? Like, barbarian. Oh, yeah, clearly. Yeah, this yeah. is the built for barbarians. Uh, totem barbarian. Like, yeah. Give, uh, give me bear. You know, strength, smash, moving on. Um, I'm going to, I'm like, I like that it's, they're all about intelligence and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like you could get a couple of, of wizards. You could be able to play a little bit of a gish character so that early on, anyway, you are casting some spells. While you're also focusing on the martial side of things, although honestly, by the end of it, I'm probably going to give up and keep going martial. You know, pick up three levels in wizard, yeah, just to get something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there are definitely some things that don't fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything that's even if you have a d10 or a d12 hit die, you can play the Goliath very well. It just kind of fits, right? Yeah, Dave. I think these guys would. I'm gonna regret saying this. I'm sure. I think they'd make good rangers. They they have a large yes. range yeah. that they they travel in, and uh, it's it seems like a slam dunk. All right, right, uh, easy. I would say druid too. Yes. I like druid a lot for their spellcaster, especially Circle of the Stars. I mean, you're on a mountaintop. You would have excellent views of the stars, um, or you know, land. Obviously, for the mountains. Do you think that they would go out of their way to get bitten by a werewolf? I'm just thinking Circle of the Moon. Like, I can become more powerful? I don't think so. I think they're kind or, of traditionalists. And they would they are threatening their tribe if they become Or are they a increasing werewolf. its power? Yeah, because you turn into a werewolf and while well, you're in camp and then you just end up murdering your thing. Like they're or family oriented, right? Like they live in small tribes of forty to sixty that are Primarily extended family. Well, well, there's your character right there. Your Circle of the Moon Druid, because you went out, you hunted down a, a werewolf, you mm-hmm. got bitten on purpose, on purpose, you went back to the tribes and look what I could do. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not strength. You didn't earn that strength. We're going to try to cure you. And they could only undo it about halfway. Yeah. All right. So, exiled. Sorry. Yeah. You're too much of a danger. Yeah. You you brought dishonor or it's... Not not glorious enough. Out you go. Mm. Right? Uh, you're a wild card. So, like, that's... I could see Druid for sure. There are a few different interesting options. I'm going to try to go Wildfire, but... Mm, no, probably not, because they live above the trees. That yeah. That really makes sense. Uh, anyways. <laughs> they didn't used to. 
Yeah. The trees were up there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's one creative build you'd want to play in this? Um, I, I'm trying to go through with some of the, like, obviously not, you know what? I bet that this would be a really cool rogue. Okay. You know, if I'm going to lean into the acrobatics, then the dexterity side of it, because how many times do you play, uh, or do people play rogues that are like acrobats and circus people and shit like that? But a Goliath that is nimble and silent and it, you could be a badass assassin. Mm Mm-hmm. As a Goliath, right? Can you imagine, like, oh, then we've got our, our assassin friend, and you turn around, and he's, like, eight feet tall in a massive black cloak. <laughs> Just, like, all you can see is his grin from underneath the hood. Uh, I think that would be... Because they're going after the exploration, so they'd be able to do that, the dash, and, and be a the eight-foot Goliath that hides as a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> a bonus action. With disadvantage every time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it would be a lot of fun to be a, a sneaky... Goliath. Yeah. Although I'm getting bugbear feel from it, right? The really big brute that just like tiptoes through the room in the mm-hmm. background. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, I was actually thinking Druid for, for the unique build. I, I don't know why I, I really latched onto the idea of these guys being almost like a Sherpa kind of character where they're used to traveling these high extremes of mountains um, and they are good at naturally carrying things. Like it's just, it seems yeah. like that would be such a, a an interesting profession that fits their character or, or creature type very well. And mm. I mean, you add in just about any kind of circle, like Druid circle, with that. These guys are, you know, the protectors of the mountains. They can help people traverse the mountains. I think there's just there's a lot to explore. Yeah. With that. All right. Yeah, I like the, the idea of doing um, Circle of the Land and then having the mountain as your sub one because you get like spider climb and shit. Yeah. Uh, I think that would work really well thematically. That's cool. I like that. Uh, for mine, yeah, I actually talked about this on a previous episode. So I'm really excited. I really want to play it. So I would either I would go Fighter and I would either go Battlemaster or Echo Knight. But I think Battlemaster would probably work better thematically, but Echo Knight just has so much more fun in terms of flavor so they also feel like champions to me uh, yeah champions too but i would go uh unarmed combat and then i would um get the grappling feat followed by fighting initiate to take throne weapon fighting as well he's making a hulking hurler yeah and doesn't exist a fifth ed thing so you can make an echo make it run out in front of you throw a couple axes and then warp yourself to it and then fucking tackle something to the ground and my modus operandi would be on any battlefield, I'm going to find the strongest motherfucker there, and I'm going straight for them. I'm going to jam an axe down their throat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. I, I really can't argue with that. Again, like, if you want a simplistic character that's just going to beat on shit, though, champion fighter. A Goliath champion fighter. Yeah. The synergy there just works for days. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. I got to say... When it comes to backgrounds, clearly there's one correct answer, and it's Outlander. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you get pro- proficiency with athletics and survival. Um, you get a musical instrument, but, I mean, sure, you get war drums or whatever. Um, and then a language of your you choice. Yodel. Yeah, but all of the shit that you get, the equipment, like a staff, a hunting trap, a trophy from an animal you killed, right? That's that's so on point for, for a Goliath. That, yeah. That's... Like, there are lots of answers for the background to choose, but Outlander's the right answer, right? Like, 
clearly built with that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if uh, you've got any other backgrounds that you think would be a good idea for a Goliath, or you just want to tell us why we are limiting them uh, too much, if you want to yell at Dave for not role-playing enough, you can reach out and talk to us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, or at r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. Or you can send us messages at info at It's a Mimic dot com. Um, we're always looking for mailbag questions. We're getting more and more flooding in all the time, and you guys are getting weirdly personal with them now. <laughs> and I, I don't know how to feel about I it. I appreciate them. Uh, the more oh. personal, the better. Oh, I yeah. want to see some of these. Okay. Well, you will. Well, yeah. the one that just cropped up today was about how you lost your virginity. So we're getting oh. like real personal. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you don't want to get that personal, you could just leave us some positive reviews on uh, iTunes or whatever app you're listening to us on. Uh, you could share us on social media uh, or you could spread us and uh, the news of the podcast just with word of mouth. Make sure that everyone else at your D&D table uh, is listening because we really appreciate everything that you guys uh, could do for us. We love the community, but... Uh, we are not natural marketers. <laughs> so, help. <laughs> Honestly, the virginity thing doesn't seem that weird to me. Like, it's probably just a quick story for most of us. A little too quick? <laughs> oh. oh. All right. So, uh, I have the last one, and that is Furbolgs. I specifically was excited to do Furbolgs because Dan is playing a Furbolg at my table right now, and he drives me up the fucking wall. He would if he was any race no, no, no. at the table. Like. No, no, no. He chose a Furbolg specifically. Furbolgs who are not from the... Uh, like, they don't exist in Magic the Gathering. And they're out in the wilderness. And he picked a Furbolg from Ravnica, which is the giant city-state. What the fuck are you doing, Dan? <laughs> right? He's he's part of a traveling circus. Is it, I, and I'm going to explain why all of that is just wrong. And Dan is wrong. And just... God damn it. Yeah, that's how we know it's another episode of the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, okay. So, uh, Furbolgs come from a little bit of a Celtic origin. Um, They're considered to be giant kin, although where they stand with giants, their true origin has kind of been lost in time in previous editions and whatnot. Um, In 5th edition, they're called humble guardians and natural druids, and it makes people think of simple and primitive, well-meaning creatures but there is a warning in Volos um, right at the very beginning. There's a kind of a little blurb, a uh, uh, fictional um, anecdote from a character who's like, "Yeah, we were hunting a green dragon through the forest, uh, and on the like second night, we uh, went to bed. We woke up the next morning, and the head of the green dragon was sitting in our camp. And our guide was like, "Oh yeah, the Furbolgs uh, probably did that, uh, letting us know that we shouldn't be here anymore. There's no reason to be here. We need to leave." Right, so I love that. Yeah, yeah, so they're not quite as as derp as everybody kind of immediately thinks they are. Also, there was a guest star on Critical Role. I'm not a, a critter. I don't know the specifics of this. I only know what I've read online, which is there was a guest star on Critical Role who was who played kind of a happy hippie kind of furball and talked about how um, her nose was kind of bovine. And with the big floppy ears as well, and and the really kind of simple looking art that they gave for the furball has given them a uh, kind of bovine reputation. And as a matter of fact, we ripped on Dan for being a cow for the first about ten sessions of our campaign. But there's nothing in the official lore about cows whatsoever. This 
is giants. They are giants. In previous editions, they were just short, pale, ginger-looking, big-bearded, Viking-looking guys with mm. bare chests that were eight feet tall. Or no, sorry, they were ten feet tall back there, um, back then because they were large size. And you had level adjustments like you were talking about earlier, Dave. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, they were ridiculously powerful and nothing like these kind of blue-skinned. Uh, simple forest walkers that we have now. And there's still little bits and pieces hidden in the 5th edition lore uh, that really ties them to being half-giants, although we don't necessarily get that now in in 5th ed. It's not official. It's been kind of abandoned, and I'm sure that in future editions we're going to get further and further away from that because they're going a little fey, which is, which is odd. Mm. I don't know. I can see it being a fey. Well, let, let me get into it. So... They're, they say that these guys come from remote forest strongholds, and that seems to be why people say fey, is because they're out in the forest. Uh, however, at, like elves and, and forest gnomes are as well, and those are both fey-touched, so it makes sense that the furbolg who's out there with them would kind of share a similar ancestry. But no, they're giants. Like, they come from giant kin. They are in quiet harmony with nature, but they're skilled with weapons and druidic magic. So they're not defenseless. They're not pacifists by any means. They prefer not to fight, but doesn't mean they can't. They're called caretakers, and they it says everywhere in the book that they promote balance and often give their extra food and resources to animals of the forest. If they have uh, more than they can eat at the end of a season, they will just spread it out in the grazing areas of other animals and that will come and eat, and they will just, you know, support the forest. Uh, they really have this thing that is this hatred for the concept of greed. They have no use for it. They despise greedy people. They have no time at all for gold or gems. Most are going to learn simple nature magic, and quite a few of them do become druids. That's right in the lore. They're secretive, and they like to work behind the scenes to keep deep forests and nature in this general concept of balance. So... It is, and it's not about nature overall. It is about nature in balance. So they will cull a herd if they need to as well mm. for the overall good of the forest. They have no use for politics and they don't really like having people on their land. You're welcome to pass through, but don't stay, don't linger, and don't affect things. If When they're trying to keep people out, they use passive tactics to make the forest unappealing instead of just attacking. They will make it so that uh, they'll redirect waterways so that there's nowhere for you to refill your water skins. They will make it so that uh, the trees grow thicker and block certain passages. And they're just going to try to herd you out. They're shepherding adventurers and travelers away from their lands. You know they're near when the animals are gone and the forests are quiet because they don't want hunters. They just send everything away so that you do not impact things. You just leave. Their big mentality is hurry up and get out. They will usually observe interlopers first. And if the interlopers are peaceful, then they may actually step out of the forest and politely ask you to leave. If you are clearly harmonious with nature, they may even try to befriend you and help you on your travels. And if it's going to help you, if they can give things to you to get you out quicker, oh, we're here to get a sprig of mistletoe for the spell here. Take this, now leave. We will freely give it to you. You don't owe us anything. Fuck off. Hmm. Right? This is not your land. 
But if you're clearly harmful or evil, they will retreat without ever being seen, muster their forces, and ambush with a devastating attack. They're going to come out of the woodwork, literally the woodswork, and they're going to fuck you up and kill you and bury you in the woods because you are better for plant food than you are breathing. Mm. I'll tell you now, you are allowed to cut down trees because that's part of nature. They live in log cabins. So it's not like, oh, you're hurt. this isn't um, tree beard. You're hurting the forest. We don't like you. No, you're allowed to do that. But if you're burning trees just because, if you are throwing an axe at the tree just to practice your axe throwing, don't do that. Mm. You're just hurting the trees for no reason. Just leave. Most, most furbolgs don't want to leave their homes. They love their homes. If they're adventuring, then their clan has been destroyed or they've been exiled. It's usually the former, as it takes a lot for one of them to become exiled because they're very family-based. Outcasts are never allowed to return home, ever. That is not a plot hook that you're supposed to, to lean on. You can't make up for your bad deeds and then go back. No, no, no. You got exiled because you murdered. Mm. Or you put the whole clan in danger, or you burned down a section of the forest, or you done fucked up. We won't kill you, but you need to leave and never come back. You're dead to us. So what this means is that most of them, when they are adventuring, are on a quest, whether they realize it or not, to find a new home, to build a new clan, and to give themselves a, a semblance of the same peace they knew before. Those whose homes have been destroyed are usually riled up to seek vengeance or to ensure that such atrocities never happen again. Very seldomly, a trusted furbolg will be sent out into the world with an important errand or task. These furbolgs often seem like lost wanderers in a strange land. Uh, they're totally out of their depths. Just kind of like the, the Tritons being curious, right? Or the Goliaths who are just like exiled and out they go. This is another one of these, these races that are very, very rare in a city. Having the furbolg bartender doesn't make a whole shit ton of sense, right? Mm -hmm. They're usually passing through going... Is this a good place to be? There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on here. That's what blacksmiths really, yeah. really. We're doing blacksmithing now. This is what's happening. I would really like. I wish they kind of expanded on uh, what they said, where they get sent out on a quest. Like what, what curiosity is there for the outside world for for a bulk? It's not so much going out to learn a thing as it would be. Hey, we know the goblinoid host is moving, and they've been burning down forests on the other side of the mountain range. And they're heading towards the the civilizations there. We're not really crazy about the civilizations, but we got to send somebody to warn them, right? So it's that kind of of getting a message out or going to deliver or get the thing. And it can be something as simple as, uh, "Hey, this creature died and left behind this item. I'm just going to return it to you because we don't don't come looking for it. Mm. Just stay away. Here's the thing, right? And and that could be the reason that you're um, that you're out in the world. One of the interesting little, like, details about furbolgs, which I liked, is that they don't really understand the idea of names. When they're mingling with other races, they'll often adopt elven names, uh, but usually they just identify plants and animals based upon what they do or how they act. So it's verbs, right? They're not going to sit there and talk, oh, the one with the scar is named Scar. It's going to be the chittery one is chittery, right? And that's... It's all verbs and actions. Uh, they do consider their home to just be known as 
home. They don't have a need to name it. If they're talking to other furball clans nearby and they have to differentiate which home, then they just describe where it is. Mm. So it is home by the waterfall. And then they go home and that like it's not like that's a new name. They just described where it is. The same way that we're like we live in Vancouver, BC, as opposed to, you know, Vancouver, Washington. Um with outsiders, they are going to uh they're going to use the local terms that people have for set for different places and the landscapes and, and landmarks and different peoples and honorifics, but it's really just out of respect. They don't understand and they don't care to understand. Uh, some Firbolgs will accept nicknames sometimes from others, but they really don't care. Like if somebody gives, oh, hey, they're stretched, like, okay, I'm stretched now. I like, I don't care, but I'm fine with it. We can, we can move on. Mm. So there's this idea of ownership, even with names, is something that they don't really hold on to. And this is an old holdover from previous editions. It says in the book that they're meant to be druids, rangers, and fighters. Do you guys have a little sidebar about breaking down the classes? Uh, no, mine didn't have that. Nope. Because Furbolgs do, or at least they did in Volos. It's gone now out of Morty's masturbation monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, it says specifically they are druids, rangers, and fighters. That's really fighty for the peaceful little cow people that everybody thinks they are. They're not. Um, they're... Uh, bards are lore masters because they use uh, verbal oral traditions. Uh, sorcerers are powerful guardians that are blessed to protect the forest and the home. And wizards arise from their contact with elves because really that's who they mostly interact with, is wood elves and forest gnomes. Rogues are usually scouts from afar. They're not assassins or masterminds. They're not in it for the fight. They're not in it to thieve. They're there to scout and understand, are these people a threat? And then go back and report. Barbarians are not common unless a clan is under constant threat and then they can start to get angry and have their ire up and then they'll go out and, and fight. Clerics and paladins obviously worship nature gods, but they're kind of rare. Warlocks are even more rare, but when they appear, they're usually dealing with archfey patrons. Almost no such thing as a furbolg monk exists. Because of ideological cl- uh, clashes that they have, um... It does say that if there's going to be a furball monk, it's going to be because a monastery like took them in after the clan was destroyed and their their homeland was was ruined. So they took pity on the furball. <clears throat> they took pity on the furball and brought them in. But for the most part, they they have nothing to do with monks. Um, in the past, like I said, they were like ginger, big red hair and red beards, but also like notoriously pale, um, like me. Uh, they were 10 feet tall. They weighed 800 pounds. They were known to be stronger than a bear, and they could sense magical auras. They could even change size categories, kind of as a, as a natural and innate trait. They had dark vision and sometimes had innate abilities to heal uh, themselves as well. They were usually lawful good in the Forgotten Realms, and this might explain why there's this holdover, but why there are almost no monks, is because back in 3.5, uh, monks were lawful neutral, so there wasn't a whole lot of overlap there. Uh, they believed in charity as the greatest virtue, opposite greed, which was the greatest sin. They were known to be cautious and shrewd and avoided other giants except storm giants because storm giants are the good giants. When it comes to giants, they kind of stepped away from the ordning. The ordning is kind of the hierarchy of giants, if you don't know, but um, they... 
shunned it, and it shunned them. They were fine with it, and they even moved far enough away that while they did speak giants, they also spoke verbal. They had their own language that other people are not privy to knowing. Kind of like druidic, right? So there's a lot of these leaning into the druid side of things. Uh, in previous editions, it talks about how they lived in log houses that were one story tall. They ate very little meat outside of feasts and festivals, choosing to rather live off the land and to keep animals as pets. But I mean, sometimes you got to eat meat. Um, they were more open to trade than the five, uh, than the fifth edition counterparts are. And they were known to sympathize with and rally around anybody who got lycanthropy because they get it really, really easily. Apparently, furbolg uh, werewolves and werebears were a consistent thing. Hmm. And I think that that's kind of a holdover from The Hobbit. When they meet the werebear, who's kind of like a big giant man, that's kind of the theme in earlier editions. If uh, if you're looking for a little piece of how to roleplay the furbolg, they used to have a specific thing called the furbolg code. And it was published in a couple of editions uh, in furbolg in the language, uh, but it breaks down to a translation that says, bravery, effort, and honor over birth. The tribe's honor over yours. The blood of the runt is the blood of a king. Give a thousand for nothing. Truth is the honor of the tribe. Which just goes to show lawful good. Yeah. Equality and balance for everyone. So if you're looking for inspiration about enemies, um, like who are you supposed to hate, there was a big war that happened thousands of years ago against the dwarves, so there's probably some sort of generational hatred there. Uh, but there was also a whole lot of uh, furbolgs that were enslaved by Fomorians, who were the giants from the Feywild, the big evil ones, uh, that came out and enslaved the furbolgs until they broke free a few hundred years ago. When it comes to the stats, you get uh, wisdom plus two and a strength plus one. You're medium-sized, and you move 30 feet. It says here that they are humanoids related to the Fey and therefore have long lifespans. That is the only mention of the Fey in all of 5th edition. That's it. Everything else says giant, but apparently this is a weird, like, where it, this has never been a thing in previous editions either. Mm. It, this is the first instance of Furbolgs being related to Fey. Or, it just builds on, like, their wild aspect, right? When I think Fey, I think nature, I think pixies, I think, you know, magic incarnate in a natural setting, and these guys fit that bill. Yeah, also if they're, when they were slaves to the Fey giants, right? Like, I'm sure they were in the Feywild. It actually, it actually happened uh, just off the Sword Coast. Like, it was a big, it was a big deal. Okay. There's all sorts of information, I think. I want to say 4th edition, but it might be earlier than that, about this, this enslavement. Uh, I think it was actually one of the adventures you had to go rescue the Furbolgs. Um, but yeah, it's, you're right. Thematically, it makes sense, but historically, they're giant. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's an odd blend. Um, anyway, the fur, the Furbolg reaches adulthood around 30, and they can live to be up to almost 500 years old. Um, they're between seven and eight feet tall, so they lost two to three feet based on previous editions. They're between 240 and 300 pounds instead of 800. And this is because there were like a plus two level adjustment in previous editions. Because they were large creatures. Mm -hmm. uh, you used to piss off DMs way back in the day as well. Because you would be a large creature. That could just innately turn yourself into a medium creature. So you could walk into taverns and stuff. So you got all the benefits of being large. And none of the downside to it. So um, a lot of a lot of furbolgs were banned back in the day. 
Uh, you're medium-sized, clearly. Now, you get Furble of Magic, so you can cast two different spells, Detect Magic and Disguise Self. Um, you use your Wisdom as your spellcasting ability for them, and once you cast either one, you can't do it again until you finish a short or a long rest. What's interesting is that, again, we get to see this uh, unique idea of changing size, only it's not as big as changing your um, size category. You can, when you use this version of the sky's self, seem three feet shorter than normal. Not taller anymore, just shorter, so that you can blend in with humans and elves. Mm. You also have a trait called Hidden Step. As a bonus action, you can magically turn invisible till the start of your next turn, or until you attack. Or if you make a damage roll or force someone to make a saving throw. So, pretty standard invisibility rules there. Uh, again, it's once per short or long rest. You have powerful build, like the Goliaths had, which gives you essentially one size larger size category when determining your carrying capacity um, for figuring out how much you can push, drag, or lift. You also get Speech of Beast and Leaf, which has been used hilariously at my table and is ridiculously ineffective. Uh, you have the ability to communicate in a limited manner with beasts and plants. They can understand the meaning of your words, though you have no special ability to understand them in return. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the trains have the same thing with uh, underwater creatures. Yeah. Same idea. Uh -huh. um, this really does feel like a blending between the Triton and the Goliath in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you have advantage on all charisma checks that you make to influence plants and, and beasts, which is fun. Um, Dan has fucked that up at every opportunity, <laughs> and it never works the way he wants it to. Uh, in Ervolas, it says you can speak, read, and write common, elvish, and giant. However, in Morty's Maniacs of Madness, you get a few updates which are a little bit strange. The Furbolg Magic says that you can uh, cast the Disguise Self and the Detect Magic uh, spells using spell slots that you have as well. So they actually get onto your spell list. Uh, and you can, that means that you can use your spell slots to drop three feet in height more than once. Uh, you can use Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma as your spellcasting ability, but you have to choose it upon your character creation. Wait, when you said you can use it more than once, are you talking about in the same time frame? Yeah. So dropping six feet? Cause no, 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 no. So you can cast it between short rests. Oh, okay. Multiple times yeah, yeah I get it. Um, for your hidden step, you go from once per shorter long rest to a number of times equal to your proficiency modifier per long rest. I like that. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I hate the least about what the Monsters of the Multiverse brought to the table. Yeah. I like using the proficiency modifier more, although it does make short rests less important. Although I like that because it makes the adventuring day go longer. Yeah. So the language in Speech of Beast and Leaf Changes to add that you can talk to beasts and plants and vegetation. I guess this is because people are trying to talk to veggie pygmies and myconids and couldn't. Yeah. I can't imagine why else they, like, we added fungi, and that's uh, that was an odd one. And now you just get, uh, instead of common, elvish, and giant, you get common, and then a language that you and your DM agree on. Which feels less unique and special and Uninspiring. more... Uninspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Womp womp. And of course, like, with all of these updates out of... Morty's Tome of Idiocy, we have, um, they remove the uh, stat increases to just be whatever the fuck you want, right? So there are rules about one into three different kinds, or two into one, or one another. Like, it's, I miss, I, I really like the racial limitation of what 
I'm strategically trying to build a character, right? Without limitations, what do you do? Yeah, I don't know. I hmm, part of it I do, part of it I don't. I don't know. We it, it felt it feels like I like the idea of being able to more carefully craft a character around a class, but at the same time, I do kind of agree with you. I think they went too far with it. Yeah, I think that you should have one of the traits be tied to class or one to race, another one to background. Yeah, I can see that. All right, uh, well, let's do some inspiration. Yay! Roll it, guys. I rolled a nine. You bumped me to a six. You missed me again. Oh, eight. Oh, right. I had to go first. I had a 19, but you bumped me to a seven. Dun, 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 yes. Good. That's what you get. I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's one interesting reason why one of these creatures would become an adventurer? Uh, I really like the idea of it was a young wildfire druid, not yet in full mastery of his powers. And he accidentally burnt down uh, part of the forest he was living in and accidentally killed his brother. And so now... He is exiled, and it becomes a question of, does he reject his heritage entirely? I mean, he's exiled, he can never go back. Or does he kind of seek to make up his mistakes somehow? Yeah. Uh, I think, see, I could really get into one of these guys. These guys are, are me. If I was going to be... You are a furball. Yeah. 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 I, I, like, I will help people out when they need it, but it's very much a here's your thing, fuck off. Yeah. Go away. Leave me alone. Don't come around here. I suppose like there's some greater good I can get over stuff. And I hate nouns. <laughs> Just as a, as a generalized, you know, rule. Um but uh, no, like these guys these they, they speak to me. Uh Yeah, but what language are they using when they speak to you? Uh common and whatever else the DM decides. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh But I mean a reason to adventure like I mean the, the when I think about a reasoning to adventure, it's, you know, my, my city dweller is going out into the wilderness, but this is role reversal. Mm -hmm. So this may be a character that I would probably, uh, do a more city based campaign in. You were complaining about Dan being in Ravnica with a Furbolg. No, no, I think that's where a Furbolg belongs. I, Cause I, I think that there's more there to explore. Yeah. Does, right. does that make sense? Like that's, that's my adventure hook is I would put one of these guys in Sharn and not let him leave. Sure, but Dan's character came from there to explore the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I know, Fuck. but like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's weird and ass backwards, but I mean. But so is Dan, so yeah. there we go. Well, Dan backwards is nad. Well, he's, <laughs> he's ass backwards into a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that, that's, 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 that's where I kind of land on that. Um, honestly, when it comes to, uh, okay, so I kind of have two answers for this. One of them is I used to have a dwarf who was raised in a, um, uh, orphanage that was attached to a nunnery. Say it right. A dwarfinage. A dwarfinage. <laughs> Fuck off, Dave. I'm upset that I've never thought about that before. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, but uh, who had a vision from his god that there was going to be a specific player um, or a specific person that was going to come and, and save them from an orc horde that was coming. And I made that one of the other players at the table. So I was on a quest at level one, first session, you are the savior of my people. I have to make sure you live and train up so you can save us. And that was really, really beneficial for both me and him uh, to have this kind of shared motivation moving forward. And I think that that leans into Furball pretty well, right? Yeah. Um, but I also like the idea of having 
all of, like, you know how all, all of the party members meet in a tavern for the first time, or you've all been summoned by the quest giver? No, I've never done or, that. Or you wake up in the prison together, and you're like, oh, how'd you get here? Who are you? My name is, right? And you have that moment. I really want to play a character who doesn't get introduced until the last 10% of the first session, right? Like, you guys have to go out into the wilderness to hunt down the kobolds and stole the blacksmith's daughter, or whatever bullshit that you come up with this week, right? That first little thing, and you come into the for bulgs territory and i will be the person to just be like hey please leave mm-hmm. all right fine if you're gonna come here I, I will escort you through be nice to the trees don't trample the flowers right and then realize that hey these guys could be up to some good maybe i will stick with them and we can protect other parts of, of nature as well so all right cool uh so what kind of insights do you have for players who want to explore role-playing this character is to be honest, I don't really know. It's a fun race, but it seems so narrow in its scope, right? You are a protector of the forest. You are you left the forest and you were just trying to get back home as quickly as possible. They, they don't like greed. They don't really care about naming things. Like they are, I don't know, flat to me. They just don't seem like they have a whole lot of motivation other than... Which is why well, well, I'm offended. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's why Dave likes him so much, because yeah. he doesn't like to put that effort in. Uh, it's not that I... I, yeah, I know, I'm fucking with you. It's, no, I, like, generally, like, I, I don't think it's necessarily worth it, right? Yeah, so like, we all get different things out of the game. Yeah, right? so... Look, I spend three nights a week playing tabletop RPGs, and then other nights recording things. I, I spend a lot of time on this. It's not like I don't hate it, it's just that's not... It's not necessary. I'm doing just fine without it. It's yeah. not like I don't hate it. So you do hate it? Yes. I mean, I hate a lot of things. <laughs> um, and a lot of people. Well, you know what? Okay, so in our campaign currently, there is a guy playing for a bog, and he doesn't do a lot of any backstory or... Anything. He, yeah, anything. So I, it's perfect for him. He summons direwolves and casts Shillelagh and then doesn't use it. Oh, yeah. so he's just, he's just... He picked the most druidic race he could find and said I'm gonna be a druid yeah he's yeah. also not a like strong in the spellcaster side of things okay he's more of a martial character most of the time but um honestly when it comes to to role playing we have a character in the Sunday group who's playing a loxodon cleric um, <laughs> and she's playing an elderly loxodon cleric who is just a grandmotherly type but her whole big thing is about the community that she's built the people that she's with this is my family, and I love them, and I'm building my, my own new family. I will do anything for them. And the longer I've known you, and the more we get along, the more I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure you are okay. A furball who's been exiled or can't go home for whatever reason, the home's been destroyed, who's trying to make a new clan find that sense of home again, would act, I think, a lot like that. Hey, I'm with this party, not because we're out adventuring, but because... These are these are my new people. This is this is what I'm going to do. I'm along for the ride. Wherever we go, I'm with you, and I will protect you. I will help you, and we're going to be okay. And I would really want to tie that in so that when the idiot rogue or the you know brash barbarian goes down in a fight and dies, I've actually got something to sink my teeth into from a role playing side of things now, right? Like, oh my god, it's happening again. Yeah. Right, and now maybe I become a little bit angry and jaded for the next three sessions. There's something there for me to really dig at. Um, the idea of trying to not return home, but build a new one out in the road makes makes some sense to me as a as a player. Okay, 
so what class or subclass would be a good thematic fit for this race and why? Uh, I mean, Drew, it, it pretty much screams it at you like yeah. in the face. But I also like really like the wildfire druid, right? And that's kind of why he would go away because I've got this power and there's only so much I can do just at home. So it is traveling from forest to forest using his powers. Uh, I also think a rogue would work too, um, but just if you went scout or inquisitive. I think an inquisitive rogue would be pretty good for it too. Yeah, I like the idea of a ranger for these guys as well. They they scream, you know, hanging out on the edge of the forest. Remember when they come out in Lord of the Rings, when they come out of the mines of Moria and they go into the Lothlorien forest yeah. and they are immediately met by the elves. Yeah, you're going to get immediately met by the fur bulgs when you travel into the forest. I yeah. really do feel like they're more warrior cast than people realize, right? Like, they're going to sit there. They are gentle giants. They're like the fucking Hulk, right? He just wants to sit by himself in the middle of the field and play with the butterflies and pick the flower and just be happy. Oh, sounds great. But if you piss him off, he will wreck your shit like nobody's business, mm-hmm. right? And I really do feel like that's that's the fur bulk. So my answer is barbarian, right? I am slow to anger, but when I do... You will fucking regret it. Uh, it goes I into a rage almost. Like the Lorax. Right? <laughs> we are the Lorax and we speak for the trees. I love it. Uh, uh, so what's one creative build that we you would be excited to play as for this race? Uh, so I'm stealing from my previous answer. I, but a wildfire druid who's exiled. Do you like wildfire, wildfire druids, Kyle? Is that is that something we're learning about? I, I do like them. I actually covered them in a previous episode as well. And I do like them, but I don't like how they don't upgrade it through the tiers. Like the wildfire spirit is the same when you get level three as you have in level 20. Good for a dip, not great for a full yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I do, I do like it. I like the flavor of it, you know? Um, but yeah, so you. Dave just rolled his eyes like, hey, I have two fucking druids in my campaign, but next week I know it. Yeah, no. I will fold the campaign. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, burn down part of the forest, kill his brother, and now the wildfire spirit he has, he is sure is his brother. Oh, cool. Interesting. Sad. Okay. Hey. But okay. Yeah. All right. So they travel around. I like that. I, you know, I, the this is supposed to be unique, but again, I would probably go with Druid as well on this one, but I like the idea of a Spore Druid. Uh, to me, the Spore Druids are all about, like, the corruption of the natural world. Hey, it, rotting to nothing is part of the natural cycle of life. Right, yeah. but, but I mean, these guys would be, like, almost shunned from the regular fur bulgs. Like, they're, they're the weird hermit. The, like, yeah, they're part of the natural order, but not it's really. Like, it's like, oh, hey, you know what? All the furbolgs up here, they live kind of in a mountainous region. They all protect and love all of the sheep and the mountain goats and the rams here. And then there's fucking Dave over in the corner <laughs> wearing the ram skull on his head going, meh. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Um, I'm all about it. I, uh, I really like the tie to the idea of family. So what's the... Um, uh, ancestral guardian barbarian, right? So yeah. all of your ancestors manifest around you yeah. and guide you in your rage to put these fucking people down, these greedy bastards. Because every single enemy that exists out there is greedy somehow. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to have that motivation hard-baked in to a playable race to say, hey, I hate people that are greedy. You're not going to get along with a rogue, which is weird that 
Dan's character is, has adopted the fucking party rogue. He doesn't know how to play a furbolg is my point. Anyway, <laughs> that, 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 we did, I, I wrote this whole episode let, let so me, I could yell about this. Let me be very clear. He also makes a very shitty bard as well. Well, yeah, that's because he's tone deaf. I don't think he's editing this one, so I can't be. <laughs> um, why, why do you say he's a shitty bard? Well, he's just, just like he keeps jumping into the middle of danger and getting killed. Or, you know, doing death saves. Like, the, yeah. the, he's the one that... Oh, he's always like, face oh, down in the puddle. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Someone over there needs saving and it's a big bad guy. That's a job for the barbarian with a pile of hit points. No, no, no. No, 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 no. I'm the bard. I'm going to go over there and sing my way to glory. Yeah. Like, fuck off. <laughs> sing my way to glory. Yeah. You know what else, whether class I really like for this one is um, College of the Spirits Bard. Where they basically yeah. tell stories and then use that like story to summon a spirit to attack with. I also like uh, Oath of Ancients Paladin for this as well, right? Like, your oath is to the nature gods. Yeah. And and the way the natural world around you. That makes a lot of sense for these guys, right? Especially if they're out in the world looking to get revenge on whoever destroyed their clan. They don't necessarily have to be Oath of Vengeance. They could be just Oath of the Angels. I'm going to use my power to smite you down so you don't do it again. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, so, now that we're done, which one of these... Would you be most interested in playing next? Just roll for it. Yeah, all right. Because I like dice. Now you I got roll another one. Again. Oh, you knocked me to a 19! Yeah. Yay, I win! All right, Adam. <laughs> uh, I've played a Goliath. Uh, I have just done an entire aquatic campaign. Uh, and I'm facing a fucking Furbold right now. Um, honestly, of the group of them, I like Furbold the best. I think Furbolds... Just not Dan's. Just not Dan's. Well, if you play it properly. Um, my big thing about Furbolds is that I think they've got the richest lore. Mm-hmm. And the ability to detect magic is fucking powerful. We kind of skimmed on that, like, before. But they can do that a number of times equal to the proficiency modifier per short or long rest. That's huge. Yeah. Is that magically trapped? Is it? Uh, is there a secret magic thing about this door? Why can't we open it? Somebody rolled a 14 on their strength. Is it magical? No? Okay, so it's just like, do it again. Yeah. Right. So there are different things that you can do. Look, in previous editions, Furbolgs had the ability to detect magical auras. So this is a holdover, right? The same way that it's the disguise self is the height stuff again, right? This is another holdover. And I'm fine with that. I'm also going to play it like it's a part Drew or a part giant because giants are fun and nobody in fifth edition is really playing with giants. And so like I'm all over giants at the moment. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really digging the fur bowl. All right, Dave, uh, probably Goliath. I think there's a uh, simplistic beauty. Yes. I also think, you know how Dan has his 3,700 Oscar, the orcs. Yeah. Uh, that's I, I could I could make a Goliath character like a legacy Goliath character. I could have fun with Furbolgs. I could have fun with Tritons. But I think if I was going to revisit a particular build over and over and over again, it could be a Goliath. Well, that's because a Goliath is going to comfortably synergize with every kind of barbarian, paladin, fighter, ranger that you ever want to play. All the D10 and D12. Um, Classes and subclasses out there. Right? Sure, so. but I, you know, I do, I do think that the Triton is probably the most versatile of the three. 
Assuming that you're near water. If you're playing a desert campaign or you're plane hopping. Or sure, but every every race you look at, there's going to sure. be a, a biome where they don't belong. Yeah. Right? Uh, but no, like the Triton, you could be any class with a Triton. I don't think you could be any class uh, for the other two without making some like real leaps and bounds in your storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with Goliath because I, you know, I generally I play like intelligent characters in a lot of spell casting. And I, th- next time I just want to play something dumb and smashy. And well, it's weird how much they like intelligence though, right? Like that's, yeah. Yes, but I would look at that and say that they but they value intelligence, but not wisdom. So I I would really make the the intelligence wisdom difference apparent. Well, okay. So it's funny in the write up for it in Volos is they go um, the Goliaths don't benefit from uh, age related wisdom because most of them don't make it that long. Yeah, there's no generational wisdom passed. Yeah. That makes sense. It's also why Outlander is good because you get proficiency in survival. Yeah. Which you need, but you're not going to be a strong wisdom class, right? So, like, it's good that you get that, like, right off the bat. So, sure. Yeah. My, my other favorite thing about the Goliath, like, absolute favorite thing we didn't touch on, is every time they, they awake from a short or a long rest, you get to say, Goliath online! Oh, and it, and it oh. just, like, scratches that itch for oh. me. Oh. End this goddamn episode. Oh. So, that's all for our discussion on Tritons, Furbolgs, and Goliaths. The next time we circle back to discussing playable races, we're going to be poking around at an environment that's just about as remote as you can get. It's going to be a wild ride, so make sure you like, follow, subscribe, and stalk us. Well, maybe don't stalk us. Adam, go for it. Uh, and don't forget to check back next week when we wrap up the last subclasses from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Can you figure out what they are? Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some titillating merchandise. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community, so please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) As well as most other podcast apps. Uh, Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, uh, where you never know what you're going to get. And Grinder, We are equal opportunity here. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Would you rather be eight feet tall or be able to breathe underwater? Breathe underwater. Breathe underwater. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Really? 100%, yeah. But then people walking down the street would be able to see how fucking awesome you are. Yeah. How often are you hanging around bodies of water? How often am I walking down the fucking street? Yeah, I would hang out in bodies of water all day if I could breathe underwater. Yeah, if okay, I could just go true. nap underwater and nobody bugs me, sign me the fuck up. Yeah. Also, being... uh, oh, oh, we could have you nap underwater and no one will bug you, Dave. We can do that right fucking Great. <laughs> Great. Also, imagine being eight feet tall. You have to get all your clothes tailor-made. You'd hit your head on fucking everything. Yeah, doors yeah, but, would suck. But yeah. you would get, like, NBA fucking scholarship, like, in a heartbeat. Would you? Yeah. yeah. Maybe? Every, uh, yeah, Shaq. I don't know, man. Every time, every <laughs> like time that, you that's get... That's the whole argument. <laughs> Shaq is it's one of... Every time you get knocked words. over, it's like a... It's, it's a a big deal. You're gonna get hurt. It's one d six damage every time you fall. <laughs> well, yeah, like it's it's gonna suck. I guess. I don't know. Just like like 
Tall guys just would, like, you could demand more respect. Sure, but I think that, like, ridiculously tall people are disproportionately skinnier, Hung? too. Oh. That's not true. Okay. Shaq. Yes, not he's not eight feet tall. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. but you're thinking, like, the world's tallest man. Yeah, like, right the, the, the taller people are normally a little more ganglier, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you've got all your heart problems and your spinal issues. and But then again, you don't have... Gills, and that's the thing I keep thinking well, about. Well, the boys. all you said was breathe underwater. You didn't say anything about okay, gills. Okay, well, that's fine. No. Right? Maybe you have some sort of butt breathing apparatus, just in through the nose, out through the butt. That's called farting, Dave. Isn't that how turtles breathe? That's not how farts work. <laughs> Should I be doing it wrong this whole time? <laughs> Like prepping buttholes. Gonna prep tomorrow too. Yeah. Well, I'm just gonna let that ride because I have prepping buttholes now on it. <laughs> so we're uh, we've got that to use against you in the future. Whoever's editing this episode, that's going to the bloopers. No context, just yeah. Kyle saying prepping buttholes. Yeah, I said Dave likes to prep buttholes. Just Dave likes to prep buttholes. <laughs> what Kyle just said. That's what are you prepping them for? I will post that photo to social media. Kyle. Holy shit. You don't record much these days anymore. Although I have you in here a lot this month. It feels like I'm doing it relatively frequently. Maybe you and I just aren't on episodes as much anymore. Never. Yeah. Never. Um, that's by design. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I put that complaint into HR. <laughs> I'm sorry. Coffee whore day. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye.